You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. It really feels like God is doing something. You know, it's just this expectation. I mean, yeah, we're, you know, we're not overflowing with, with people at the moment, but it's just this expectation like God is really doing something. And it's, it's really cool. And, you know, I don't know where it's going to lead to. Um, I mean, we're trusting God for what all that is. But, like, a lot of people have been sensing it. Like, the youth is on fire. Um, and I know, it's really cool. So, you know, the, the two girls up here, they were part of a six-team uh, leadership team that you know, is leading our youth on Wednesday nights. So they're, they're, really, they're really doing well. Um, but we also have a couple ladies who just a couple months ago, they said, hey, we feel God's calling us to come during this, the week and pray here in the sanctuary. So we gave them a key and they're here all the time, Donna Brown and Kathy Baxter. And about two weeks ago, uh, Donna had this picture that she shared with me and gave me permission to share with you. And I thought it was really exciting. So let, let's read it. It's, um, this is what she said. She said, She had a picture, and it was of Noah's Ark landed, and the family disembarked. But it was not Noah, it was the family of Heritage, Heritage's Ark. (laughs) We had, like Noah, been floating where God had placed us for a season, but not now. Now we are coming out of the Ark, because what God was doing is completed, and he is leading us out. We are about to leave the Ark of COVID containment, hallelujah, (laughs) and burst forth into what the Lord has designed over this church family. Our destiny is sure, and God's design over us is solid. We will no longer be limited to float upon a sea without direction. God's Spirit will lead us into his design and blessing because we will be a channel of his Spirit. God's design is about to be revealed. Amen. Isn't that great? And we... We kind of felt led to start talking about Romans, specifically the 12th chapter, and we have two more Sundays to finish today and next Sunday, but there's been this theme that we've been gleaning from Romans chapter 12, and it's almost like God is telling us what the ingredients he wants to put in our church body to create something amazing, and He's been kind of giving us little images of what it looks like. Not exactly showing us the pictures, but it's, it's sort of like this. Or it's sort of like this. The first image was last year, and God really showed me that the Lord wants to change us as a church. And I know a lot of American churches have that mentality like we're a cruise ship. You know, we want to just be big and bad and the best food and it's all about us and you know we're just here for our enjoyment and we're here for our comfort and we all just have a wonderful time and it's all about me myself and I he wants to change us from a cruise ship mentality to a fishing vessel a fishing vessel isn't as attractive but it's what Jesus has called us to do and all in the fishing vessel all hands are on deck Everybody needs to help and, and, and do it. And our view, our focus isn't inside, and like me, myself, and I, our focus is outside where we're, where we're doing the fishing. So God gave us that. And then actually I was preparing this message, talking about Romans 12. I had another kind of picture, like God is creating this amazing like stew or soup. And in order to do that, he needs all the right ingredients. And the ingredients are some of the truths that we're, we're, we're gleaning here in Romans 12, And also the ingredients are us. 
that he needs every single ingredient to make this the most beautiful stew or soup you've ever tasted. And I want to be part of it. You know, and so I started thinking like, well, what about soups and stews? And so, you know what? There's some amazing soups around the world. Um, And some of these um, soups are from third world countries where they don't have a lot of resources. But if you take the perfect ingredients, you blend it with a master chef, you can come up with amazing, amazing dishes. So I got a couple examples. The first one, this is from Nigeria. It's called banga. Anybody ever have banga? Um, No, I I thought you you said someone was fixing their hair, and I was like, someone had banga? No. But basically, it's a soup from fruits of the oil palm tree that give like a fat and, and soupy flavor. It features fresh catfish, beef, and dried seafood, and it blends with African nutmeg, castor seed, orima, janza, and belidi leaves, which I have no idea what they are. And then there is pho. You know, like pho de beau from Vietnam. There's a lot of those restaurants here. Oh, pho. Sorry, I always call them pho. Sorry. And it's, it's a broth simmered for hours with cinnamon, star anise, and warm spices. It's good on a cold day. Are you getting hungry yet? And then there's this. It's called Borsk from Ukraine. And it's super famous in Eastern Europe. Chunks of tender beef swim with brilliant red broth for a soup that's beloved in Ukraine. Often topped with a rich dollop of sour cream, Borsk has a tangy kick from Kvask, a lacto-fermented beet juice that specialty in that region. And my favorite, the one I'm going to show you this morning, is this one. Doesn't that look good? It's called Chupa de Camarones, and it's from Peru. And it's a creamy shrimp chowder with a special, it's a specialty of the city called Arocupa. It's a historic city surrounded by volcanoes. And it has tender shrimp. They swim alongside chunks of Andean potatoes and corn with a kick from an addition of aji amarillo, a chili pepper with a litting and fruity flavor that's perfectly balanced out the rich and creamy ingredients. So someone will come in a sec to take your drink order after this. (laughs) I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, you know, you see these and you're like, man, I want some. And every time I come to church, I feel this intense presence of God. And it's like, it makes you hungrier for God. And we want to come and get filled, but we also want to get hungrier. So when we leave, we're hungry and it pushes us to seek God in our own time. And we want the Holy Spirit to put all the ingredients together to make this some kind of amazing stew. So today we're going to focus on Romans 12, verses 9 to 13. But I want to go back and review some of the ingredients that God seems to be highlighting for us to make sure we keep in our church. So let's go to Romans 12, starting in verse 1, and we'll see some of those highlights. First, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I talked about this a couple weeks, but the first ingredient that we need in order to cultivate what God's doing is total surrender, your body as a living sacrifice to Christ. It's hard to do, but the, the Bible says either you're in or you're out. Don't be lukewarm. You need to be completely in, all in, 
as a total surrender. That's the first ingredient into this thing that God's doing here. The second one is found in verse two. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the second ingredient is a transformed mind or a kingdom mindset. And it's almost like if you're doing a soup and you're catching, you know, you have a super fresh vegetable, you pull it out of the ground. Before you put it in the soup, you wash off the vegetable because it has some of the earth on it, some of the dirt, and you don't want to contaminate the soup. So a transformed mind is almost like God cleansing us from the earthliness, from our earthly thinking. So that's number two as a review. Number three is in verse three. It says, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according to the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So the third ingredient is humility. We have to, in order for us all to work together, to be blended the way the Lord wants us, we have to be humble. So what happens if there's some pride found in the mix? You know, the Lord is merciful. He doesn't look and say, okay, this humble ingredient I'm going to use, uh, this is proud, get rid of it. What he does is he'll work with that proud ingredient. How does he do that? Well, it's rough. <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, if you're going to put like a meat in a stew, you know, and sometimes that meat is thick and hard, you know, what you do, you get the, that tenderizer and you start hammering away, right? You start pounding away. And you know what? That's sometimes God allows things in your life to start pounding you, to get rid of the pride. You know, and it doesn't feel good, but once it's perfectly tenderized, all that pride, uh, all that pride is pounded out of you, then he says, okay, now you're ready. I'll put you in this stew. Or maybe it's like frozen meat, and it's like, you know what, if I put this frozen meat in the pot, it's the temperature and all the ingredients is gonna mess it up. So you know what, I'm just gonna put you on the shelf for a little bit, let you unthaw, that you come down to reality. Remember Moses? Moses was called by God and he tried to take matters into his own hands and he tried to fix Israel. But then God's like, no, no, you have some pride. You know what? Why don't you go in the desert for like 40 years? So he thought out for 40 years and then all of a sudden when he was tender and ready, a burning bush happened and he took them and he put them into the ingredients. You know? And it said that Moses, one of his attributes, he was the most humblest person ever. Forty years will do that in the desert. <laughs> so humility is an important ingredient. And the next one, in verse 4, it says, For just as we have, uh, each one of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So the key ingredient here, which we already talked about, was interdependence and unity. We can't do, I can't do this by myself. Jared can't do this by myself. The elders can't do this. We need to be together, just like a soup. You know, you can't have just a soup of chicken. It has to have all the spices to bring out the best. And then, the, and then in verse uh, five, uh, six and seven, it talks about gifts. It says we have different types of gifts, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. And these are ingredients as well. It's almost like these are the spices. 
well, you know, prophecy in there. You guys, maybe a little serving in there. Maybe a little showing mercy, you know, add, add to that flavor. And, you know, Jared preached about this last week. If you didn't hear his message, go back. It was, it was a home run. Anybody agree with me on that? That was, yeah. <clears throat> um, so today, we're going we're gonna to pick up in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. And this is what it says. And we're going to pick out some ingredients here to add to the mix of what God's doing here at our church. Verse 9 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bunch of ingredients in there. Let's, let's look at them individually. In verse 9, the first part of verse 9, it says, love must be sincere. In the New King James, it says, love must be without hypocrisy. You ever talk to someone who doesn't go to church and they all say, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And Paul is saying, yeah, we need to love, but love without hypocrisy. So sincere love without hypocrisy is a key ingredient for what God wants to do here. And it's interesting because, in a sense, we were talking about gifts and things, and now Paul brings it back to the main and plain about love. And he's saying, we need to love. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's all about the gifts of the Spirit, but then 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about the greatest is love. So love without hypocrisy is the most important ingredient. Um, and, and Paul says that we need to love without hypocrisy. You know, how many people have seen hypocrisy in church? How many people have seen hypocrisy in your own life? I know, but it's harder to see it in our own lives, you know what I mean? It's like, I, oh yeah, that is hypocrisy, and, and then you, know, you, you, know, you can't see it in your own self. But the word hypocrisy was actually used for play acting, like when the Greek actors back in the day, they used to put a bunch of the different masks on. But hypocrisy shows itself in two ways. The first, hypocrisy tries to make the outside look better than the inside. Like we have it all together, you know, like Mr. Christian right here. <laughs> But, you know, as soon as he gets in the car and someone cuts him off somewhere, it's like, okay, that mask comes off and a different mask comes on. Um, but we need to have love for Jesus and love for others on the inside and the outside. And the second way that hypocrisy shows itself is it hides our own flaws by drawing attention to other people's flaws so that ours don't show up so clearly. Kind of deflecting, like, Oh, oh, yeah, I know I got issues, but you know what? Look at that, that guy and, or that girl, and you start criticizing them and just tearing them apart. And a lot, of, a lot of times when we do that, we're actually deflecting stuff from ourselves because there's this spirit of or arrogance of hypocrisy in our life. But Paul says that we need to have love without hypocrisy. He says real love doesn't act this way. Let love be without hypocrisy, and if it isn't love, it isn't, doesn't have hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is all about falsehood, concealment, deceit, cloaking, misleading, hiding. And hypocrisy is the opposite of loving the truth. So we need to be genuine. In the second part of uh, verse 9, it says, Hate 
what is evil and cling to what is good. In the King James, it says, abhor what is evil, which is a very strong word. And how does that work? You know, we're talking in our relationships to each other. That's the way we need to respond to the good and the bad in people. You know, we're supposed to be encouragers to one another, and we're to, to, to look to the good in people and build them up and help them. But sometimes in families, we also are supposed to take notice of sin or evil in each one of our lives. Not to get it and hit them over the head, but to help them, to encourage them. And you know, a lot of times, we want to have that comfortable relationship with someone in church, and we notice something that, that they need, we need to have a little talk with them, but we don't do it because we don't want to hurt their feelings. But it's sort of like a parent. Like, imagine if your parent, you, were, you didn't want to tell your kid to not go on the street because you didn't want to hurt his feelings. But by doing that, he would go in the street and get hurt and hit by a car, and that would really hurt his feelings, right? <laughs> so sometimes the loving thing to do is to have a relationship with people, affirm them, but once in a while, when you need to, call out sin in their life. I remember when I lived in San Diego, we had this, uh, I I was a single guy, and there was this couple that really kind of took me under their wing, and uh, they were were from New York, she was a Puerto Rican, so she was just like kind of fiery, and she always spoke her mind, and um, I remember one time, like, I started, uh, I started, there was this, I was kind of lonely, I was by myself, and so I know, you know, I, I, was, I was in a good relationship with the Lord, but I met this girl, and she wasn't a Christian, and I was like, you know, I, I went on a date with her. And lo and behold, she ended up working with this gal and told her about me. And so I didn't want to tell anybody, because I knew it was wrong. And so, like, she kind of, like, called me up, and she's like, hey, you know, I just heard you went on a date with this girl, and you know how this girl is, and, and all this kind of stuff, and, and she just let me have it. And first, I was like, you know, it's none of your business. But then afterwards, it was like, you know what, you're so right. And I really thanked her for telling me, because I, I could have went down a wrong path. You know, we all just, sometimes we're stupid. <laughs> you know, we let our emotions get the best of us, and we need other people in our life just to set us straight. And so she did, and I really, I really appreciated that. So hating evil and clinging to the good is another uh, key ingredient that we need. Let's go to verse 10. Verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That first part says, Be devoted to one another in love. There's some translations that say, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And that word devoted It's actually a family word. It's the type of devotion a healthy family has with each other. Because for believers, we are a family. And it's interesting how there's this theme going on the last couple weeks since we've been talking about Romans 12. First was like, we're all these puzzle pieces making this beautiful puzzle that God's putting together. And last week, Jared talked about all the gifts and body parts that are coming together to create a healthy church body. And now we're a family, and we're all brothers and sisters. God's our father. And in family, members are loyal to each other. I know I have a pretty good relationship with my brother, George. He was my best man. I was his best man. When I was a kid, he's, he's a couple years older. Like, if, if I was 
kind of a little bit of a, a punk back in the day and getting a lot of fights, but if there was always someone who was like better fighter, I would always get my brother who was older and he would beat him up, you know what I mean? So we always had each other's back. <laughs> but no matter what he did, and we've gotten into it, we've had issues, and we're different, but he's always my brother. And he always has my back, I have his. And that's what healthy families do. And that's what we have to do as a church body. You know, we need to cover our sins with each other. I mean, not hide them, but you know what I mean? Like, like not expose each other, protect each other, be loyal to each other, speak truth to each other, but help each other out, stick together. And I think we can use a little more of this family-style affection in the American church. And remember the love of the early Christians among themselves. They left a pagan world drooling with envy, and they, many were attracted to Jesus because of them. But unbelievers today hear that Christians are supposed to love each other, but unfortunately, most of the time, they're kind of disappointed. But I think the Lord wants to build that again into our church body, into the American church body. And, and then the, the second part of verse 10, it says, honor one another above yourselves. Think about that. That's like virtually impossible, isn't it? <laughs> I'm lucky to honor someone as... Is, is, is equal to the way I honor myself. This is saying, honor someone above yourself. You know, this is just goes against human nature, honestly. But this is what God calls us to do. This is a kingdom value. This is such a key ingredient. I don't think we'll be able to do what God really wants us to do here at Heritage unless we get this one value, this one key ingredient, honoring one another above yourself. And you know, it's like the brotherly love, it's good. But you've ever heard of sibling rivalry? Sometimes among siblings, there's a little bit of rivalry. Like, yeah, you, you know, I'll help you out, but don't get too much better than me. But this loving, honoring one another above yourself, it's more like a parent love. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a good parent, you want your kid to be better looking than you, richer than you, healthier than you, Everything. You know, you just want the best for your kids. And you don't mind if they outshine you. In fact, you want them to outshine you because you just have this amazing love. So I think what God is calling us is to honor one another above yourselves, to have a mother and fatherly love. Can you imagine if we were known as a place where there's mothers and fathers? Young people would come and they th they come, you know what? These people, actually, they love me. These people actually are sacrificing for me. They, they think I'm better than they are. Wouldn't that be attractive? And how many church fights or church splits have happened because someone wasn't, didn't feel like they were honored the way they were supposed to be honored? They did something, nobody said thank you. They did something, but someone else got credit. But we, you know, and it, it does hurt. It obviously does hurt, but we need to get that mindset. Like, we need to honor other people above ourselves. But one of the things that bumps up against that is a very popular notion of what love is supposed to be. It's the notion of self-love first. You know how many people you've heard, like, you know, in order to love someone properly, you got to love yourself. And it kind of makes sense. It's like, yeah, that sort of feels good. 
But honestly, if you look at what Paul is saying, I don't know if that really holds up. It's the notion, the notion of self-love first. Um, because this notion says that we cannot love God or others until we have first come to love ourselves. So self-love becomes primary and the source of all other loves. But according to Paul's teaching, I think this is, feels like hypocrisy. The Bible says that we are to love without hypocrisy. And Christian love, by its very nature, urges us to allow our love for others to be greater than the way we love ourselves. Self-esteem is subordinate to others' esteem. Let me repeat that. Self-esteem is less than others' esteem, according to what Paul's saying right here. A lot of times we think, no, I gotta have self-esteem, then I can properly love someone. And, and so many people, I don't know if it's working out for people like that. And I know this might be a little shocking or disturbing to some of you today, but selfless love for others over love for ourselves is the norm in the Bible. And you know what? We saw this in a, an amazing story about these two friends in the Bible. One was called Jonathan and one was called David. You know the story of Jonathan and David in the Bible? That's King David in the Old Testament. They were best of friends. Instantly, they just, they were, they had a bromance. <laughs> and Jonathan was a prince, and he was heir to the throne from his father Saul. But because Saul sinned, God was going to remove Saul's family from the monarchy and make David the king of Israel instead. So Jonathan was in a dilemma. His best bud was basically going to take his place. Because if David would become king, then Jonathan would not become king. So what did Jonathan do? He helped David become king. He helped David escape from Saul, and he helped him in many ways. Why did Jonathan do that? Because Jonathan was devoted to David in love, and he honored David above himself. Jonathan had his esteem less than his esteem for David. And what was the result? Well, we know David became king of Israel, he led Israel to great success. He wrote the Psalms. And actually, Jesus came from the lineage of David. All because, some point, this guy Jonathan said, you know what, I'm gonna put my interests below David's interests because that's what God wants me to do. And how did it work out for Jonathan? I wish I could say, well, Jonathan rode off into the sunset with a beautiful girl and everything was great. But he didn't. He actually was killed in battle, and he had to die, so the lineage of Saul completely ended and David could have the rightful throne. It actually ended sad. But you know what? It didn't end sad, because Jonathan did get killed in battle, but I'm sure when he went to heaven, he probably has these jewels in his crown. That jewel is for, for what David did. That jewel is for Jesus coming through the lines of David. You know, he was rewarded in his heavenly reward. And so when we have right perspective, the stuff we do on earth, even though it doesn't make sense, and we kind of lose here, but in, in heaven we will gain. Jonathan was a prince who laid down his life for another. Jesus was our prince who laid down his life for you and me. 
You want to be a prince like Jesus? I mean, he was a prince of peace. Lay down your life for others. It's a kingdom way. So let's add brotherly love, devotion, honoring one another into the ingredient mix too. And these two ingredients, they pair really well with uh, humility, by the way. Uh, so let's go to verse 11. It says, never, lacking, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so real love re- retains enthusiasm despite the setbacks. And if you never notice someone who's enthusiastic about the Lord, anybody know a guy named Ron Sukit? You know, he's a pastor here in town. Every time I talk to him, I'm like, how you doing? Ah, oh, I'm doing amazing. He just has this enthusiasm because he has such a relationship with God. And I know he's had a rough week. <laughs> and then... It says in verse 12, it says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And joyful hope, rejoicing in hope. When we go, life is difficult. When we go through difficult times, how can we rejoice and have hope? Well, when we have correct perspective, when we realize that this life isn't what it's all about, like what I'm going through right now, the Bible says, It's to prepare me for the glories that God has ahead of me. It's to refine me. And you actually can be joyfully happy. Isn't Paul said, like, rejoice when you go through all kinds of trials and temptations because he's he's working in you. So when we have uh, joy and hope, it's, it's wonderful. That's being joyful and hope. Patient in affliction is we realize that God is working something great in our life. So you have to be patient and let the Lord finish his work in you. And then there's prayer, faithful in prayer. So if you want to start praying, well, you're in luck. We have a fast going on this week. (laughs) I would encourage you to pray. We are to persevere and pray. We are to pray all the time, the Bible says. Prayer is hard work, but it pays big dividends. And prayer is our primary way of communicating with God. Stop communicating with any person, any relationship, and you'll notice that you won't have the same relationship that you used to. And sometimes we wonder, why? how come God feels so far? Well, maybe it's because you're not communicating with him through prayer. It says faithful in prayer. That's a key ingredient. And then verse 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So Paul calls for two particular expressions of love for the brethren in verse 13. First, our wallet, our giving. People are probably saying, I know they always talk about money in church, don't they? Well, Paul said it, I didn't, okay? (laughs) But the first expression of brotherly love is the wallet or giving. And God has called us to be a generous people. My personal belief, and I know this is debatable, is that I give 10% of my money in tithes to the church. And then the Bible says, talks about tithes and offerings, and offerings are money I give in addition to my tithes. Like sometimes God puts it in my heart to bless someone, or we support missionaries, or you're on the street and you see someone and you pay for a meal or something like that. But I tell you, when you live generously, God will bless you. I had good parents that, that pushed that in me, and ever since I was a kid, I, I, I tithed. And really, I think one of the reasons I've always been blessed is because God has taught me that principle. So, but it says that we are supposed to, uh, this expression of brotherly love is in the wallet and giving. And when you give, it's like it breaks greediness. It breaks control. Sometimes it's hard to give, especially when things are tight. But when you do it, God will bless you. And the second expression is the home or hospitality. 
of, that, that's another expression of God's love. And one thing, some people confuse hospitality with entertainment. And hospitality is not necessarily preparing a lovely dinner and serving it in gracious style. I mean, that's kind of entertainment. And there are often mixed motives for entertaining, like you want to show off your culinary skills or, or your social graces or your beautiful home or, or you want to get an invitation back to their nice place. <laughs> but that's entertainment. But hospitality focuses on people and their needs. It's using your home, whether it's a big palace on the bluffs or if it's a little apartment somewhere, or even a room, using your place to focus on people and their needs, and sharing the most intimate of who you are, because your home, or your room, or your, your place is who you are. And, and a lot of times, it's kind of hard to do that, because I think there's two things that we, we, um, find, we struggle with when it comes to hospitality, is we like our privacy, I don't want someone to come over. It means I've got to clean up. And you know what? Uh, then I, I don't know. I feel like I'm exposing the real me. Or the second reason is maybe we have something to hide. It's like, man, you look good here, but get me to your home. And you're like, what's all that? What's, what, what, who, who are you? <laughs> um, you know, so it's, and that's kind of hypocrisy. So Paul says, love without hypocrisy. Be hospitable. Be a hospitable person. Bring someone into your home. It's kind of risky. Go to someone else's home. But you know what we can also do as a church? Be a hospitable church. When new people come, say hi. <laughs> That's a brilliant concept, isn't it? Be friendly. You know, we don't want to be like this clique or good old boys club. You know, and, and we're praying that God brings in the lost. And these people, and, and you know, we, want to, we want people who've never gone to church who come here and are hungry for God and they sense God doing something. And can you imagine if they came and they probably were like, what are you guys doing here? You know, it's almost like anybody ever been to a mosque in like an Islamic service? You know, I don't think any of us. Imagine if you went, you know, don't, don't get me wrong here, I'm not telling you to do that, but imagine if you went to a mosque and wanted to see what a service was about. I'd probably walk in there and I'm like, what do I do, you know? Like, do I sit, do I stand, do I talk to someone, do I cover myself? You know, but imagine if some guy came up to me, a big smile, and was like, hey, are you new? I'm like, yeah, and he goes, oh, do this, and don't do that, and sit here, and stand when they say this, and I'd be like, thank you. And that's how a lot of people, when they, unbelievers, they come in here, and they probably look at us like, us going to a mosque, like, what are these people doing? Why are they singing? Who's this guy talking? What's the guy doing with his foot up in the air over here? <laughs> you know? And can you imagine if someone just came and said, hey, you know what? Because uh, I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, I want to take communion, but I'm not a member here. And like the church they grew up in, you had to like go through all this song and dance just to take communion. So like being hospitable is like welcome to our church home. Say, hey, we're going to sing a little bit. You know, they're going to pray. Some people might give a word, which means they have an impression from God. You know, just be, a, just be hospitable because this is our home. We want to make people feel welcome. And you know what? For extra credit, anybody want extra credit? Take a visitor out to lunch. Just say, hey, lunch is on me. And if you can't afford it, ask Mike to pay for it. <laughs> um, 
Does that sound good? And you know what? Like, and, and if someone wants to say, how do I get involved? Or what about the kids? And you don't know it, just say, hey, let me take you to Teresa. Let me take you to Peter, Jared, or, or anybody that you think might have the answer. Let's be a hospitable people. And, and Paul says that. Expressions of brotherly love is the home. So all these ingredients that God is putting together in Romans 12 and the people that are here, you know, I just feel God is going to make us into this delicious soup. I know it sounds kind of weird. And you know what? We want people to come in and they're like, wow, this is amazing. I know from time to time, like, I come home late and my wife's making something. And as soon as I step in the house, I'm like, wow, that smells good. I don't know what it is, but I just want to eat it. (laughs) And we want people to come in here and they're like, man, this smells good. I don't understand it, but I want it. We want to be, you know, and like, have you ever had like your favorite soup? You would go anywhere, do anything to get? Well, I have one of those soups. It's called... Tom Ka. Anybody know what that is? That's Thai coconut soup. It's like the all-time favorite. You know that love Thai coconut soup? It's like the best soup ever. But if you look at the ingredients, individually, they're kind of nasty. <laughs> but if you put them together perfectly, it's amazing. Like, it has one tablespoon of vegetable oil. Anybody ever take a shot of vegetable oil? Probably not. There's ginger lemongrass, curry paste, chicken broth. Anybody ever have a swig of chicken broth? It's awful. And it requires three tablespoons of fish sauce. (laughs) You know, it's the kind of stuff that puts hair on your chest. (laughs) But fish sauce by itself is nasty. But if you put fish sauce perfectly blended, this perfect master Thai chef, it's going to be good. And without the fish sauce, it's not going to taste the same. I'm not much of a cook. I remember I tried my thing at baking once, and I forgot to put, I either mixed up the sugar and the salt, and it looked great, and then we ate it, and we're like, oh, it was awful. If you mess up the ingredients, it's going to be bad. That's why we need every single person here. First week, it was the puzzle. Last week, it was the gifts. This week, it's the ingredients to make what God wants to do. Like, just a little bit of salt we're missing, it's not enough flavor. Too much sugar or not enough sugar, it's not sweet enough. That's why you are valuable. Our family is valuable. And we need every single person here to be part of whatever God's doing, and we're excited about it. So I'm going to just really quickly, this last one, what does this look like? What is this creation? How could it possibly look like? Where do we find this in the Bible? I think we find it in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, a picture of snapshot of the early church. And let me read it really quickly. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, the many signs and wonders. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The ingredients I see in here are devotion, prayer, unity, fervor, zeal, giving, hospitality, honoring one another, brotherly love, sincere love without hypocrisy, total surrender, kingdom mindset, humility, interdependence, joyful and hope, service, clinging to good. And there's four things that happen. First, there was wonders and signs, or signs and wonders. 
We're not a church that just follows signs and wonders, but signs and wonders follow a healthy church. When we're healthy, signs and wonders are gonna follow. Miracles, healings, amazing stuff. Second, praising God. You come here in God's presence, things are right, you just wanna worship God. Next, you'll have favor with the people. People will say something's different. There'll be favor back in the day. And the most important, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's been a while since we've had a bunch of salvations here. And if you have a healthy couple, they're healthy physically, healthy emotionally, they're gonna start having kids. And we want to be a healthy church that starts finding uh, people who get saved. Amen? Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.